0: Good evening. So here we are all together. We come on retreat with such good intentions, and we're given these very simple instructions about sitting down and watching the breath. And so we begin to calm the mind and rest a little more in the present moment, perhaps. But what we seem to find then as many of our habitual patterns of mind arise to distract us. And unfortunately, these patterns of mind are often ones that are difficult or limiting. I was talking a little bit today in my groups about people's motivation for coming on the retreat, and I noticed it was very clear that no one said that they came to get in touch with their greed or to wallow in aversiveness. But unfortunately, that's often where we find ourselves, that familiar territory of those difficult or painful states of mind. In Buddhism, these energies that cloud the mind and prevent us from clear seeing are known as the hindrances. The hindrances are archetypal and universal. No matter how personal they may seem when we're in the midst of them, when we're identified with them, when it feels like my anger, my fear, you know, I'm so this, I'm full of that. And of course, we don't just discover them here on retreat. It's not like they just emerge on the first day and disappear on the last. There are old friends that are with us throughout our lives. And it's not just Buddhism, of course, that talks about them. All religions talk about these difficulties that we face when we start on a spiritual path, when we really have an intention to grow in wisdom and understanding, that there are things that will challenge us along that path. So, this tonight is the talk on the hindrances. For those of you that are new to retreats, maybe it'll be the first time you'll have heard this talk. For many of you, it'll be an old friend. Uh, We try to give a hindrance talk on every retreat. But the good thing about a hindrance talk, even though you may have heard it before, for the person that's giving it, I know that everyone can identify. I know that there's a feeling of connection. It's not like giving a talk on the five aggregates or dependent origination where there's often a few puzzled looks and a, what are they talking about? This one, it's pretty clear. We're all in there somewhere or other. And as Deborah mentioned, um, currently at Spirit Rock, we're doing a series of classes on the hindrances, one a week, the five hindrances, It's the first time we've done a class like this. Usually, we do series on things like the Brahma Viharas, where we talk about metta, loving kindness, and compassion. And, you know, people are obviously drawn to come and hear how they can um, encourage those qualities in their life. But, class on the hindrances, you know, as Deborah said, a whole two hours on sloth and torpor. Who would want to come? (laughs) But the thing is, quite a few people did come, but as I joked in the class, I'm sure there's all those people at home who are saying, I can't be bothered going to a class on sloth and and torpor, or, you know, I can't imagine how horrible to go and do two hours on anger. That just sounds unappealing. I don't want to do that. Probably the people that needed to come didn't show up, but anyway. So these five hindrances, these five forces that visit us often in our practice, in our lives are greed and desire, that force of wanting in the mind, an aversion in its many guises of anger, hatred, ill will, boredom and judging, and sleepiness or sloth and torpor, my old friend, I've become quite familiar with it, doing two hours on it the other day, and restlessness, agitation, and doubt, it's the last one. So these hindrances can be cause for tremendous struggle in our lives and in our practice. But it's also important to know that they can be valuable fuel for insight. That we shouldn't see them just as obstacles or enemies. They've actually even been called the manure for enlightenment, just as we need to fertilize the garden for things to grow. These very qualities, these difficulties we struggle with, are the place we can come to understanding because it's often that the most difficult places in our lives and in our practice are where we learn the most. And working with the hindrances can lead us to that profound understanding, that most important understanding, that it's not what we experience that matters, but how we relate to that experience. As Eugene, um, Said One of the teachers at Spirit Rock, when he began the hindrance class, he said, as long as we can agree that there's no such thing as a hindrance, then we can begin to talk about the hindrances. So really to work with them in that way, they're only hindrances when we don't see them, when we don't see them clearly, when we're caught in them, when we're struggling with them. When we see them clearly, they then become the place of our meditation practice and possibly a place for deep insight and understanding. So the first hindrance is that of greed or desire, that force of wanting in the mind that can go from very subtle liking, pleasantness, to the full-blown force of passion and lust that we've probably all experienced. It's the force that comes when we're beguiled by objects, by the pleasures of the senses. And when those things seem to hold the key to our happiness, If only I had this. If only things were such and such a way. It's a string of if-onlys, the wanting, of things not being right, that sense of things not being okay as they are, of wanting something different, that something is missing, and if that thing were there, then we'd be happy, then things would be okay. And it's interesting, once we start to look at this, this pattern of wanting in our mind, we can actually begin to see that the strength of the desire is not conditioned by the object itself, but by the degree of attachment we have for it. We can begin to see how sometimes even the simplest things can be the objects of strong desire. And here on retreat is a perfect opportunity to watch that process happen with us. I'm sure all of us already have scoped out the retreat center, you know, where the best place in the dining room is, where we like to put our shoes outside, where we like to walk, and where we become quite fixed on those very simple things. And if someone dares to sit in the wrong seat or take my shoebox out there, you know, the, the amount of mind moments that can get spent on that is amazing. When I was on a a three-month retreat a few years ago, I remember a certain period, probably some way into the retreat, it was in Massachusetts, which can be somewhat cold and grim in the fall and winter months of the year when you're doing a three-month retreat. And there was some period of days, I can't remember how long now, where every time I would go out for walking, and I'm always a little embarrassed to say this, but I'll go ahead, I had visions of having a bread maker and somehow or other, this bread maker represented to me every delight and happiness. And I would just go on and on about what I would make and the friends I would have around and hot bread and muffins and rolls and things like that. And it, was, it seemed like days on end, especially a certain time of day. You know, it was a little cold and windy and I'd be bundled up out there doing my walking meditation. And these fantasies would just come and I was just lost in them. It was amazing, you know, once I could actually step back a little from them and reflect on them, how I was so...